remember when I was a little kid, uh, learning how to program a little bit on my computer in the computer language called BASIC. Right? Anybody remember that? I, yeah, some of you might. All of you old people might. Right? But, uh, but I remember I started on my Commodore 64, right? uh, learning just to some few basic lines of code, like kind of copying it from a book that I, that I had. And, uh, and one of the most uh, basic things that you learn, one of the most common programming codes that you can do are conditional statements or conditional logic statements. Uh, and the way they kind of were, were scripted out were if-then statements, right? And, and you would put, program these little lines of code, and the if statement is the value of the variable that if, if that variable is true, then you would program some code that, for it to execute a line of code that would produce some kind of action, an if-then statement. It was dumb little things like this. I would program a, a, a little thing, lines of code, to, 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 to start counting from 1 to 10, and then when it hit 10 and that value was true, the screen would turn red. I don't life-changing. I mean, it's better than anything Elon Musk is doing right now, right? But that's what we did. But you know what's interesting is we have these conditional logic statements, these if-then statements in all of our human relationships, in, in different interactions in arenas of life. Parents use these conditional logic statements all the time, right? Your kid comes up to you, I want to go play outside. Can I go play outside? And what does mom say? If, clean your room, pick up your toys, do all your chores, then, right, then you can go outside and play, right? So if the variables of, that were outlined are met, then here is the outcome, here is the result. We have that in employment relationships that well, right? You might go to your boss and say, I want a raise. I deserve a raise. Give me my raise. Anyone ever do that? <laughs> your boss might say something like, if... You meet your sales quota or these sets of metrics uh, or, you know, you get this particular score in your performance evaluation, then maybe you'll get a raise. We have this also in dating relationships as well. You might have a young man who's attracted to a young lady and he's trying to work up and muster the courage to go ask her out and he finally does and he goes to her and he says, can I take you out to dinner? And she'll say... If you get a job, take a shower, put on deodorant, you know, um, change your wardrobe, then maybe we'll go out to dinner, right? Um, we have all those things in life, but in today's passage, uh, we're going to pick up on the second lesson found in the first nine chapters of Proverbs that are these lessons from the father to the son, and in today's lesson, you're going to see the father employ these if-then conditional statements to try to teach the son something about pursuing wisdom. And that if he does pursue wisdom, then he will reap wisdom's rewards. So I want you to turn to the second chapter of Proverbs. You can follow along with our online worship guide by scanning the QR code in the seat in front of you. You'll see uh, the message on screen, or hopefully you can turn to it in your Bibles as well. Let's hear the words of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom 
and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. These are the words of the Lord. One of the most common metaphors we are going to find in Proverbs uh, is that of the way or the path, a word that is found dozens of times throughout Proverbs. And that way or path is a rich metaphor for our actions in life. Not just our actions in life, but the flow and destiny uh, and destination of our life. The path is a direction with a starting point. It's where we find ourselves now currently in life. It's a destination. It's where we will end up if we continue on that particular trajectory. And it's also a fork in the road. A time of of major transition where a choice needs to be made on which path, which direction, which way will I take. And the Father's continual uh, exhortations in these lessons that we're looking at in the first nine chapters are exhortations and encouragement for the son to remain on the father's path. The path of righteousness, the path that leads to life. And in walking in that way, he is going to encounter a lot of things that are going to try to bump him off the path. Try to knock him off course. Try to cause him to deviate from the good and and then move off into the paths of wickedness and evil. This is what he's trying to show him here. In this particular lesson here, you're going to see... Tons of repetition. There's a lot of parallelism that is employed in this particular uh, chapter, which is a poem. What I want to encourage you to do is, throughout this week, go back and and read this. Use that scripture journal uh, that we gave out the first week. You can print it out. You can, uh, uh, or even in your Bible, circle or underline all of the repetitions that you find there. All of the parallel phrases and words contained there, you're going to see that this is actually uh, a remarkable piece of literary work. Uh, In fact, uh, 
in the original language of, of Proverbs Hebrew, this is a poem. It's written in the style of a poem itself. And it's actually one long, complex sentence containing 22 verses, 22 lines that correspond with the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. It's remarkable. Now, I know ours has a lot of punctuation in there, and, and you'll see some periods, like there's new sentences, but in the original language, it's, it's not like that at all. Now, if you ever wrote a paper like that in college, right, one long run-on sentence, your paper would be filled with a lot of red ink and a nice fat F on the corner, right? Uh, that's not how we write, but, but this is a poem, so we need to understand its genre. But it's masterful, and it's actually cleanly divided into two sections. Now, we're going to look at it in three sections, but uh, verses 1 through 11 form one cohesive section, and then verses 12 through 22 in our Bibles are the second section uh, in the poem itself. And right, so we're going to look at uh, the reality that, you know, we, we have to pursue wisdom because it's a, it's a process in life, and we're, going to, uh, and we're going to look at the prize of wisdom, and we're going to look at the protection of wisdom. Um, so let's begin here with these first four verses in what the father's initial exhortation is to the son. Now, if you think back uh, to last week and the, and the week before, the first lesson and the wisdom interlude of Proverbs chapter 1, uh, we were there entreated to pursue wisdom. Right? When we looked at this personification of, wis- of wisdom as a woman, lady wisdom, we looked at last week, what is she doing? She is calling out. She is clamoring to be heard by everyone everywhere. She's beckoning the simple to turn from their simple ways and to embrace wisdom and to follow wisdom. And then she'll have the blessings of of wisdom in their life. Um, But now in the second lesson, we're going to learn how to pursue wisdom. How we're going to pursue wisdom in order to unlock wisdom's rewards. So let's look at verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Here's the the starting point of the pursuit of wisdom. It's the starting blocks, right? If this was a, a race, this is getting off the starting blocks. Because wisdom is not our default position in life. No one here was born with wisdom. Some were born a wise guy, but weren't born with wisdom. Right? It's, 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 not, it's not something that we're born into. Uh, it's not even something that we gain with age. I wish that were true. Just automatically. We all know a lot of old people are not wise and make foolish decisions, right? Uh, it's not something you coast into. It's not something you obtain passively or through osmosis just by you know, laying on your Bible or something like that. This is not how we grow in wisdom, Right here, we're, we're told how we grow in wisdom. That the journey of growing and developing in wisdom begins with revelation. It begins with revelation. Not just any old revelation, but the specific words and commandments of the Father that He is instructing His Son. If we want to obtain and grow in wisdom, we need the words and the teachings and the commandments that are being talked about here. That's where it starts. That's how we begin to gain it. He's told to receive those words and treasure up these particular commandments, these revelations. The search for wisdom is not something that's unguided. God does not leave it up to ourselves to figure out this wisdom thing. 
to go search for it, right? Uh, some meditation in some, some cave, you know, uh, uh, in Nepal, right? That, that's not how we find wisdom, okay? We don't turn inward to ourselves to look for wisdom, to find wisdom, to know wisdom, to grow in wisdom, starts with revelation, okay? doesn't start again with gaining insight from secular gurus. You will not find this kind of wisdom by going to your self-help section at Barnes & Noble. It's not what Proverbs is telling us to do. The revelation that are the words and commandments are the Father, and it's assumed here, is the law of God. The commands of God, the words of God. That's the starting point of obtaining wisdom. What are we to do then? With these words, what do we to do with this revelation? Look at all of the verbs used in these first four verses here that instruct us on the method of getting wisdom. This is how it comes about. It's a process. It begins with that conjunction if, right? It's the beginning of the conditional statement that Solomon is putting forth here to his son. There are specific conditions to getting wisdom. These verbs reveal to us that it is God who grants wisdom by means of this process, not by automatic possession. Would that we would, the moment we receive Christ, would have all the wisdom that we needed, right, to live out this life. It's the start, but that's not how we get it. To gain wisdom's treasure, to reap wisdom's rewards will require effort and hard work. Look how the Father implores the Son, receive My words, treasure up, which means to store up, right? Pay close attention to, right? Let your ears perk up when you hear wisdom call. Make your heart willing to get wisdom and understanding. It's the first step to getting wisdom. And that first step is to internalize God's word. For that's what receive and store up mean, To store up and internalize the words of God. The son here, right, is is exhorted to what? Explore, store up the father's teaching so that they'll work their ways down into their hearts and eventually that will seep out into their actions in life. Again, this, this gaining in wisdom is not an intellectual pursuit. It's not about intellectual rigor, but whole heart transformation of character. The exhortation in the conditional statement is pressed even further because he says, if you call out for wisdom. So there's this internal working and now there's this, these external actions. Call out for wisdom. Raise your voice. Seek for wisdom like it is the most valuable and precious treasure. What is Solomon telling him to do here? He's telling him to hunt for treasure. Wisdom and obtaining wisdom is a treasure hunt. That's what he's talking about here. The treasure of wisdom isn't laying out in the open. It's not. And you need to understand that in the pursuit of wisdom, it's not going to come easy. It's not going to come by you doing nothing in your life or in your walk with the Lord. Some of you may have done this. I've never gone out to do this, right, with your little metal detector, you know, out to the beach. I mean, it may be something I do in the next 20 years, right? Because it seems like you have to be a certain age range, but then you're, that's just automatic. You're going to put that thing in your hand and swing it back and forth and, you know, enjoy the beeps here and then, right? 
you wouldn't have to do that, right, if the ring and the necklace and money or coins, right, were laying out in the open, right? Because that's not where you find treasure, right? You, you've got to dig for it. You've got to mine for it. You've got to work for it, right? And this is what's in view here. It's a rigorous pursuit. The sun, us, right, we must dig down deep. There is effort that must be exerted to obtain this because the treasure is God's word. It's God's word and it's worth all of our effort. Seek for it. Search for it. Treasure it up. Listen to those verbs there. Wisdom must be treasured up. Do you see God's word as that kind of treasure of inestimable worth? Do you treasure God's word this way? Do you treasure God's word deep down into your heart? Do you actively study God's word, mining it for wisdom from God and letting it penetrate your heart and convict you and lead you to repentance and life change? Do you heed God's word as a call from wisdom? Any of you know of the, the massive California gold rush, right, of the 1800s? Word gets out across our country that someone finds a little nugget nugget of gold, and all of a sudden it began this mass movement right towards the west. Treacherous journey to begin with, right? And then harsh conditions were there, all in the hopes, right, of finding some gold, some treasure. So people endured hours, days, weeks, months of backbreaking labor, hoping to find something. Most didn't. But think about the effort, the fervor, the intensity that was put forth to find this precious mineral, this precious metal uh, and of something of worth. And that is the kind of intensity and fervor you and I need to put into the pursuit of the revelation that's in God's word, which is wisdom from God for us. If you've ever lost something valuable right in your home, what do you do? You go nuts searching for it, don't you? You flip everything upside down. You pull everything out of drawers. You're opening boxes you haven't opened in 20 years that are in your garage or shed. You're looking for this thing. You don't know where it was. You will not stop until you find it because it means that much to you. But how much more valuable is God's word and the wisdom in God's word and how you and I should be searching for it and mining it for the treasure that it is. God's word must be treasured up in our hearts. Your heart follows what you treasure. Always. It's not the other way around. That's why Jesus said, right, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Your heart follows what you put forth as of value and what you're going to pursue. We devote our time, energy, resources to obtain what we deem valuable. Now I'll submit some don't spend the time in God's word because they don't see it as valuable. They don't treasure it as something of inestimable worth for their lives. Psalm 119, 72, the psalmist wrote, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That's amazing. Could, could we say that? God, God, your word is more valuable than all of the stocks put together in the stock market. I know they're not worth a whole lot right now, but 
pretend we were in the height of that. Or of all the precious minerals and metals, diamonds, gold, silver, platinum, in all of the world. Could we say something like that? Could we write something like that and mean it? Look how the writer of Psalm 119 describes the the internalization and storing up of God's word. Verses 9 through 16, Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Absolutely profound. He's saying, God, I have filled up my mind. I have filled up my heart with your words. Why? I don't want to sin against you. And your word is my delight. And your word is worth more than anything in this world and all of the riches of the world. Think about that. Think about what happens when we store up God's word in our heart. Store up his wisdom in our minds. It's like a vault that can be accessed when needed. Treasure upon treasure upon treasure. I've already told you this chapter, 20, uh, uh, chapter 2 is 22 verses uh, arranged by Solomon uh, with the same amount of verses that are in the Hebrew alphabet. Why was it written that way? It was written that way so the son could memorize his teachings. So that he could memorize this poem and its structure. In fact, Psalm 119 is the same thing. It's long. It's the longest chapter, if you call it that, in your Bible. But what is it? It's one psalm containing 22 sections. Each section starting with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Why? So it could be memorized. So it could be internalized. So, so the youth could learn it and put it into their heart and memorize it over and over and over again and recite it. How profound it is when you and I memorize the word of God that, that intake of the word of God and we, we steep in it and we meditate upon it and let it just kind of work its way in us. It's absolutely powerful. Do you actively memorize scripture? Do you store up God's word in your heart? It's essential, brothers and sisters. It's indispensable in the pursuit of wisdom and gaining wisdom in life, the wisdom of God's word. You listen. Like this time together as God's people, this isn't the time to check out. Can I say some hard things as a pastor? I'm going to say them anyway, but I'll make you feel better that you had input on that. This is not the time to check out. This isn't the time to go on social media. This isn't time to scroll through your Facebook feed. It's not the time to doze off. It's not the time to think about the stuff you have to do this week. This is God's word. This is God's word that we're talking about here. And that's not dependent on me being an entertaining and flashy communicator. Because I'm not. 
It's God's word that we come to listen to together, to hear from, so that we can grow in wisdom. It's not the time to catch on the nap that you missed out. I've got a handful of men in here who love to sleep on Sunday mornings. You know who you are, and I see you, and I love you dearly. But here's where it starts. You disciplining your life for this moment. And that begins Saturday night. That begins Saturday night. That's not the time to go to bed super late and do all the things, you know, and then Sunday morning you're like dragging you, you yourself and your family in here. And yeah, I know, now's the time where you're sitting and you want to get into passive mode. You're not to be passive in this moment. You're to be an active listener of the word of God. Actively taking it in because you're like, I need to put this into practice in my life. God is speaking to me through his word. This is where God speaks to us. I'm not going to stand up here and give you a thus saith the Lord prophetic word. I'm giving you a thus saith the Lord from his scripture. It's God's word. It's God's word. Take notes. Perk up. Pay attention. Okay? That's how it starts. Take God's word in. Treasure it. Treasure it. I love when I see people taking notes. I really do. Because it's like, man, that's someone who really wants to, to know what's being said. They want to come back to this. They want to work it out. Get into that habit. Get into that, into that discipline here. All of God's people are to be biblical scholars, brothers and sisters. Every single one of you. All of you. Not just the men. The women also. The same theology I need to preach this to you is the same theology each and every one of you need to walk this out in life. You should be studying as much as I study to prepare a message and for my own personal preparation time. Right? It's, it's time to rise up, brothers and sisters. It, it's, it is time to get serious about this, to gain mastery of his word. All right, let me stop there. All right, let's move on. Um, Wisdom also must be called out to, right? Isn't that what he tells him to do? To raise his voice to call out for wisdom. Now, the Bible has some hard and difficult things to say, doesn't it? Like, we're going to come to passages in Scripture and we're like, what is this all about? I know that there's a lot of difficult things in there. I know. I got to wrestle with those things, all right? So what do we need to do? We need to call out for wisdom. What is calling out? It's prayer. We need to prayerfully seek God's help as we study his word, as we listen to the preaching of the word. The 19th verse of Psalm 119, again, he writes, look at this prayer right here. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. What a great thing to pray, isn't it? Open my eyes, God. Let me see all of the beautiful, glorious, wonderful things in your word. I submit to you, if we see those things, oh, it's going to change us. Like It's going to do something in our life and in our heart, and we're going to want more of it. We have to pray for it. James 1.5 right, tells us to pray for wisdom. If we, if we lack wisdom, James says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now listen. That's not me just praying and then God's going to zap me with wisdom, right? Like, let me pray and then all of a sudden I got all the wisdom I need. Now, that's not how it works, right? What are we praying for when we pray for wisdom? 
When we pray, what are we expressing? We're expressing our dependency upon God. God, you are the source of all wisdom. You are the fountainhead of wisdom. I cannot have wisdom apart from you. I depend on you for wisdom. It positions my heart to receive the wisdom of the Lord. It prepares my heart to receive his word. When that happens, wisdom from God flows to our lives. Look what Paul prayed for the believers at Ephesus, Ephesians 1, 16 through 18. I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, look, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Isn't that awesome? He prayed, listen, may God give you that spirit of wisdom and revelation so you could see it, so you could understand it, so you could comprehend it, so you can continue to behold Christ and see Christ and his glory and his beauty and his salvation and his work. The Holy Spirit will give us understanding of the scripture because he wants you and I to understand it. God does not want you to remain Wondering about things in his word. Okay. But some things in his word. We got to work to get. And that's okay. Because it's valuable. The process of wisdom engages all of our senses. It involves the mind. The eyes. The heart. The mouth. The ears. All of it. There's nothing passive about, about obtaining wisdom and attaining it. All of us is required in the pursuit of it. And it's worth it, brothers and sisters. It's absolutely worth it. So will you pursue wisdom in that manner? If it is of inestimable worth, then seek after it like it is. Go all in in pursuing wisdom from God and give all of your life to such a worthy endeavor. Now, I could end there, but I'm not. We're going to keep going. Let's talk about the prize of wisdom. Here's a few things that we can see. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but it's, it's part of the lesson of the father to the son here. And the first prize of wisdom is that we're going to know God. Right here now we come to the second part of that conditional if-then statement. If the son is diligent to pursue wisdom, to treasure it up, to receive it into his heart, then wisdom's going to give up her treasure. Wisdom's going to give up her treasure. If the conditions that we saw there in verses 1 through 4 are met, we will enjoy the priceless blessings from wisdom that follow. Look at verses 5 there and on. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Here again, the goal of gaining wisdom, not an academic or intellectual pursuit. It's a spiritual one. It's a spiritual one, to know and understand the fear of the Lord. Now, we've already seen that phrase, the fear of the Lord. It's, it's the key, right? It's the whole key to Proverbs. Verse uh, 7 of chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge, wisdom, synonymous here, right? And that fear of the Lord is shorthand language for having a proper relationship with the Lord. Because again, the fear of the Lord, Lord, is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And he's saying here, only those that are in a covenant relationship with the Lord are the ones who have the fear of the Lord and can obtain the wisdom and knowledge from God. The ultimate prize of wisdom is a personal, intimate, 
relationship and fellowship with the Lord. So seek wisdom and you will know God. Know God and you will gain wisdom. It's a reciprocal action. The fear of the Lord brings wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge leads to the fear of the Lord. If you seek wisdom, your reward is the Lord. It's Christ, right? We've been saying it all along. Wisdom is not a thing. It's not an abstract idea. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is Christ Jesus. He is the supreme treasure, brothers and sisters. For the Lord gives wisdom, Solomon wrote here. Again, who's the source of wisdom? It's God. We cannot know true wisdom apart from God. Now, this might sound like a paradox to you. Because on the one hand, we're, you know, here's the Father, Son, the Son. Here's what you've got to do to get wisdom. You've got to receive it. You've got to store it up in your heart. You've got to you know, seek it with all of your heart. You've got to search for it like treasure. You've got to call out for wisdom. And on the other hand, we're saying it's a divine gift. It comes from God. Well, which is it? Do I work for it or does God give it? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think there's some mystery infused here as well. But it's, it's how our sanctification works as well, isn't it? We work at our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who wills and works for us to our good, for his good pleasure, right? Who works out their salvation? Who sanctifies us? Is it my responsibility or does God do it? Yes. Yes. Ultimately, it's God's. But does that mean I just coast into my sanctification? Does that mean I just sit back like I'm on a roller coaster ride and all I have to do is just sit my butt down on the seat and strap myself in, go along for the journey? No, there's some active things we do as well. And the Spirit of God works in us through those particular things. So yeah, God's working out His good pleasure and His will in us to sanctify us and conform us to Christ and we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's there. It's attention. Live with it. It's the same thing here. How do we get wisdom? Work for it. <laughs> you got to work hard to obtain it. You got to search for it. It's blood, sweat, and tears. Oh, but it's God who gives wisdom, right? It's both. It's both here in view, and it's absolutely beautiful. What's clear is we must strive for wisdom. We must exert effort in obtaining wisdom while simultaneously acknowledging that it remains a divine gift and that apart from God, we can never have this wisdom. Which leads me to make this statement. There is no secular wisdom found in Proverbs. Not a one. Not a one. Because the wise man, the wise woman knows that wisdom cannot be found apart from God. And wisdom, again, cannot be found in themselves. Contrary to what secular psychologists and philosophers and all of the TikTok sages tell you, you're not to look within yourself. You're not to find it in your heart. You're not, you're not to follow your heart. The answers are not within you. If they were, this world would be a better place, right? But they're not found there. That's garbage philosophy. In fact, Proverbs here calls this out in 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. 
You walk in your own mind after your own heart and the imaginations of your heart and following your own truth and you have your truth and I have mine truth. That's going to lead you one place to destruction. Colossians 2.8, here's the warning. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. What's going on there? Well, Paul's warning the church that, well, look, there are competing voices out there. There are rival voices to the word of God clamoring for your affection, your attention, your response, and for you to go after them. But they're empty. They're hollow. They're deceptive. Don't be taken captive by it. The only way you're not going to be taken captive by it is if you have wisdom. And you have the wisdom of God's word. And that's why we need knowledge. And that's why it says here, knowledge and understanding come from the mouth of God. That's the kind of wisdom we need, brothers and sisters. Listen, there is a a common grace poured out upon the world where God has given a measure of wisdom. And there are people out there, right, who, who say some things. and You're like, oh, wow, those things line up with the word. Great. But it's just some things, isn't it? You read some of the works of, 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 of some of the most popular philosophers of our time. And there are, again, some nuggets of truth in there. I say this, this isn't pretty, but there are nuggets of gold sometimes buried underneath mountains of poop. Okay? You have to dig for those, and every now and again you might find one, but you've got to wade through all of that filth. Why do that? Why do that when God's word speaks to us so beautifully and clearly and is wisdom from God? And his wisdom is not one that can be discerned, right, in the flesh. It can only be spiritually discerned. It can only be discerned by the one who has the spirit of God within them. That's the kind of wisdom you and I need to be seeking. I'm not saying don't read those things. I'm not saying look towards others who might have expertise in certain areas. But if your diet consists of 99% that and 1% God's word, you're off the wrong path. You truly are off the wrong path. You will fill your mind with worldly wisdom that's not going to lead you this way. Brothers and sisters, I read widely, okay? Just, I do. My main diet consists of God's word because this is what I need to fill my heart and life with so that I can walk on the right path, okay? Um, God's wisdom is not subjective like the world's wisdom, right? It's, it's objective. It's truth because God is truth. Knowing the Lord is going to bring a quality of life and security that is not found apart from him. Look what, uh, what Solomon writes here. He says that God stores up sound wisdom for the upright, Again, look how this works. You store up his word, God stores up wisdom for you. Isn't that beautiful? That's the parallel. That's, the, that's in tandem there. Why? You have filled yourself up with God's word. You have stored it up. So there is something in you for God to now dispense to you as you walk in his ways. And as you do that, he will make known to you the excellencies and riches of Christ Jesus, whom we've already declared in him are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He goes on to say he'll be a shield to those who walk in integrity. What does a shield do? It protects. It's defensive, right? There's a safeguard that God puts over those who walk in wisdom, who are filled with wisdom. 
And boy, do we need that. You and I face fierce spiritual battles every single day of our life. Wisdom protects. Wisdom keeps us from going after foolishness. Man, do we need that. Man, do we need that. He'll guard the paths of justice and watch over the way of his saints. Again, there's protection. There's guarding. That word saints means the faithful in Hebrew, right? We're talking about faithful ones. More to the point in the sense of those who are loyal to their covenant God, to the covenant God of Israel, right? So it's, it's the loyal ones, the ones in covenant with God. Only those who have entered into divine relationship with the Lord have this kind of protection, have this kind of blessing, have this kind of relationship with God. So as the son stores up wisdom and treasures in his heart, God's going to store up as hidden treasure the protection inherent in that knowledge. Now, we're going to see in a few moments here what God is protecting him from, right? And what he'll be protecting us from. The second prize of wisdom there is that we will be transformed. Verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. The entrance of wisdom into our hearts will change us, brothers and sisters, from the inside out. We'll get to understand righteousness, justice, equity, the right way to live. We'll make decisions that are right and just. We'll have confidence that our choices are sound and that we will have success in matters of life. Again, we've talked about wisdom. It helps us make decisions. There's a lot of Christians who suffer from that decision paralysis. I don't know the will of the Lord. I don't know what to do. You lack wisdom if that's the case. And you get wisdom from his word, which will enable you to make sound decisions and choices. We must experience this inner transformation. And we've already talked about how that comes about. We start prophesying. Uh, in Ezekiel, and we see the fulfillment of that in Christ, right? When we're born again, God gives us a new heart. It's the regeneration by the Spirit of the Lord. Ezekiel prophesied that he would take out the heart of stone, right, and give us what? A heart of flesh that will cause us to obey the law of God. Changes our affections, changes our desires. That comes from being born again. It doesn't come any other way. God changes and reorients our affections for him. Look what he says. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That's awesome. What does that new heart give us? These new affections. Like God's word now is delightful and pleasant and pleasing, beautiful and attractive to us. You'll love God and you'll love the wisdom and word of God. This is what he does in us. He births this desire in us. That's one of the things, if there's anything I can point to, you know, of, of when I experienced new birth as a teenager was that. I never read the Bible. I didn't know what was in the Bible. We attended the occasional mass. I got yelled at by the nuns and Catholic school, Catholic elementary school. I didn't know God's word. But when God changed my heart, one of the very first things was, I could not get enough of this. I got my first NIV Bible, man, and I colored that thing, underlined it, 
all the way through. I'd read it for hours a day. My parents could tell you I'd be locked in my room reading the Bible. Couldn't get enough of it. It was life to me. Like, it's all I wanted. Well, that didn't come from me. It came from the Spirit of God just changing my affections to delight in His Word. Proverbs 1.7, I said, is the key to Proverbs, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. But the key to all of the wisdom literature is found in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is the key, especially 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Delighting in the law of the Lord. That is the key to wisdom. Our transformed heart gives us a growing desire for God's wisdom. It puts a new taste uh, in our mouth for the truth of God's word. It becomes pleasing to our souls. Reading God's word becomes attractive. Approaching the study of God's word is like smelling just freshly baked bread. Those of you who lived in Orlando for a long time, you remember driving down I-4 and you passed the Merida bread factory, bakery, whatever you want to call it, and you'd roll down your windows and let that waft in and fill the car, and it was manna from heaven, and it just transported me to another realm. Hallelujah. <laughs> and it did smell wonderful, and then they closed it. All right, so we don't have that anymore, right? But coming to God's word should be like that for us, brothers and sisters. Like it just... So sweet, so precious, so beautiful. We cannot get enough of it. We want to inhale it deep into our hearts. And that interchange, that transformation where wisdom, Christ by His Spirit, comes into our heart, repulses us to the idea of the way of folly and draws us to the way of wisdom. Says also that wisdom was going to give us discernment. It's going to give us discernment, right? Discernment is having our senses trained to sniff out wisdom from folly, good from evil, right from wrong. Discernment is that inner compass, right, that lets us know the path of righteousness is this way, not that way, okay? This is what wisdom does. That's why it's important to internalize God's word. Again, parents, I implore you, especially those of you with young children right now, right? Help your children internalize the word of God. Help them get it into their heart. Don't just teach them Bible stories, as wonderful as those are. Go beyond that here. Teach them how to discern right from wrong. Right, to, to not just memorize scripture, but to, to help them understand it right in an age-appropriate way. Right? So they can get their senses trained to discern good from evil, right from wrong. It's, it's developing their taste for wisdom. Right? This is what we do. I like how Paul puts it to Timothy, uh, writing in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. But as for you, look, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Knowing from who you learned it. 
And how from your childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we want? We want our kids to be acquainted with Scripture. Internalizing Scripture. Have an intake of Scripture. Be able to recall Scripture. Because it's wisdom from God. And it's the Spirit that will fine-tune our taste buds to develop a taste for His Word. To be acquainted with His Word. To get an acquired taste for His Word. You ever had someone... Maybe tell you, oh, you need to try and then some exotic food, right? Uh, you need to try escargot. You need to try caviar, which is eh. but and, and you say, I don't like that stuff. And he goes, and you know, they snobbishly tell you, well, it's an acquired taste, you know. <laughs> Only us sophisticated individuals, you know, love its taste. Well, wisdom is an acquired taste as well. Why? Because in our children, Scripture tells us, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, right? Uh, we're not born wise. I've already said that. So we need to acquire a taste from wisdom. And it's God's spirit that produces that in us. And we cultivate that through our continual intake and study of his word. And exercise wisdom in all of life. Let's look lastly at the protection of wisdom. Because the other prize of wisdom is found in the second part of this poem. Verses 12 through 22. Wisdom is going to protect and deliver us. It's going to safeguard us from the wrong path. We've already said that wisdom is the skill of living rightly. So wisdom prepares us to live rightly in the real world. With its threats, with its temptations that we're going to encounter along the way. But what exactly will wisdom protect us and deliver us from? So Solomon is going to give his son another two examples. We saw one in the first lesson of chapter 1. We're going to see two groups here. Mentioned two rival voices uh, that he is going to warn the son away from, all right, that could pull him towards ruin and death. They are rival voices to the voice of the Father, which ultimately are rival voices to the voice of God in our lives. So that first group is found in verses 12 through 15. Wisdom is going to protect us from evil men. Evil men. Verse 12, delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech. Now, men includes women, okay? Delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. You ever watch the news where the parent of a teen that did something horrific, right, uh, is being interviewed by the news, and they're asking them, well, did you ever know your kid was a serial murderer? You know, and, and sometimes you hear them say, what? No, he's such a good kid. Oh, he was always a good kid. He just got mixed up with the wrong crowd. This is what Solomon is warning him, his son against. It's what we all warn our kids against. We don't want you running with the wrong crowd. Like, don't get mixed up with the bad kids. You ever tell your kid that? <laughs> Watch out for them, even in the Christian schools. They're there, right? So he's saying, right? This is what he's saying. The father's trying to warn the son about that. To keep his son from getting mixed up with the wrong crowd. Look what he says here about these evil men, right? That seems so, so sinister, right? Evil men. But the main thing he says here, what is their perverted speech? You want to identify the evil men? They have perverted speech. What is perverted? It's twisted. It's twisted speech. 
And what is it that they're twisting? Truth, yeah. They're twisting truth, the truth of God's word. You had, you had the rival gang there in uh, chapter 1 in the first lesson trying to entice the son and seduce him away to, to easy living and easy money uh, through violence and unjust gain and all of that stuff, right? Those voices are calling and competing with the voice of the father. And there's also this, this competing voice to the father's way here by those who twist the truth. They pervert the truth of God. They rejoice, as it says here, in doing wickedness. They call evil good and good evil. They, they love what God hates. They operate in the dark, cut off from moral light. Their methods are deception. And he's warning his son here, avoid them. Stay away from them. Wisdom will protect you from them. Because their ways are dark and crooked. The wisdom ways are bright and straight. So he's saying wisdom will deliver you from. That word deliver is actually the word to snatch away or to snatch up. Right? This is what wisdom does. It snatches us from pursuing and being enticed by the perverse speech of these people. Bruce Walke in his commentary writes that knowledge and wisdom will tear the son, tear him away from the dangerous moral power of the apostate's world and life view, which would lead him on the way of death from which he cannot escape on his own. Why? First of all, again, it's a rival lesson to the fathers. It's a rival lesson. Again, the warning, right, for those of us with younger kids, watch their intake of what's going on on social media because those are rival voices. Competing voices to the way of wisdom, to the word of God, to the truth of God. And you've got to teach them to discern that. And it's nuts. It's crazy. So you think about the consumption that emerging generations have steeping themselves in worldly philosophy, worldly wisdom. That's perverse speech, twisted truth, hours upon hours upon hours. And that's competing with your counsel and the truth of God's word and the truth that you're trying to impart to them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. But we've got to teach our kids wisdom. We need wisdom ourselves to be delivered from these kinds of things. The son needs wisdom to keep him from perverse, twisted speech that could bring confusion to his life and lead him to ruin a wise person, well, that person is going to be repulsed by the values, character, and lifestyle of evil men and chart a course around them. Fill your mind and heart with wisdom. Fill your heart and mind. And I'm going to challenge you. If you have a difficulty in this area and you consume hours upon hours upon hours of, of scrolling through your social media uh, watching and reading different news sources. Maybe you need to fast from that. Maybe you need to say for the next seven days, I'm going to stay off of that stuff and I'm going to fill my heart and mind with God's word. I guarantee you, it will change your life. But we're not willing to do that. We're not willing to do that. When we do, brothers and sisters, it repulses us to that. In fact, you can't stand it. So I want to encourage you, 
pray and respond accordingly. So it protects us from evil men, those of twisted speech, perverted speech, who twist the truth, and protection from the forbidden woman. I like the way that's rendered there, the forbidden woman, right? Some of your translations say the foreign woman, um, um, and also it tells us it's the adulteress here. Uh, but this is the first time we come across the forbidden woman. I feel like there should be an effect in my voice when I say that, the forbidden some reverb or something, the forbidden woman. Because, listen, she's a major character in Proverbs. She's going to come up many, many times. There's a whole chapter coming up here devoted to her, right? Uh, so we're going to spend more time talking about that when we get there. But the father's going to warn the son over and over again to avoid this woman. She is without a doubt Solomon's main competition uh, for the affections and for the attention uh, of his son. Later on, she's going to be personified as woman folly. All right, we've talked about Lady Wisdom. Well, here is her arch rival, right? Woman folly. Verse 16, so you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress and her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Right? Tells us she's an adulteress. Foreign means that she's, she's not yours, okay? She belongs to somebody else. She doesn't belong to you. She's another man's wife. But here's what's interesting here. Notice he said to deliver you from men of perverted speech, but we're also warned now about her speech because she too has a specific speech pattern here. Not perverse like the evil men. It says that her words are smooth, like smooth jazz, Okay? <laughs> Seductive speech, flattering speech, flirtatious speech. What's he talking about here? Yes, the adulteress, larger view, sexual temptation in general. Uh, and, and I'm even going to stretch it a little bit further. It's a warning of all temptation and idolatry. But specifically here, because he's talking to his young son, and he knows he's going to be attracted to beautiful women, and there's one he's trying to warn uh, off of him there, right? And, and what he's saying here is that this is going to be a huge problem for you, son. Along the way, in your pursuit of God, she's going to be there with smooth words, seducing words, right? Uh, and wisdom can protect you from the immoral woman and from sexual temptation. How? Well, the first thing I want you to do is, 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 is that she's to be recognized. And to be seen in light of how God sees her. Because look at the words used here. Okay, First, the methods. Right? She's got smooth words. Right? She's, she makes herself appealing. Later on when we, when we see the adulteress, she's slapping on the makeup. She is beautifying herself. And she's out where the young man is, beckoning him to come in and say, Ooh, my husband is far off. It's gonna, he's going to be gone for a couple of days. Come on in. All right? Well, we'll get to that in a few weeks here. But we've got to recognize her methods. She makes herself appealing, attractive. She seduces with charms and outward beauty and the offer of sensual pleasures, using flattery, telling you what you want to hear. And Solomon is telling his son, don't fall for it. Watch out for her smooth words. Because what is she doing with those smooth words? She's setting a trap. 
She's putting out bait, luring you in. Don't fall for it. We need to recognize her true character. And this is why we need wisdom. Because wisdom kind of gives us those spiritual lenses to be able to interpret and evaluate things, especially if we encounter this kind of temptation. Because the spiritual lenses will let you see, oh, she may be beautiful on the outside, but she is ugly on the inside. Ugly. Wisdom will teach you and train you to be repulsed by her and her offer. That's what wisdom does. The next thing we're told here is that she's a covenant breaker. She's a covenant breaker. She's broken her covenant with her husband, and she threatens you and the covenant you've made if you're married with your spouse. She's going to wreck your family. She hasn't been faithful to her husband. What makes you think she's going to be faithful to you? Right? This is what Solomon's putting out here. Now, again, the same is true for an adulterous man here, right? That's a covenant breaker as well. But we're going to stick with the, the metaphor here for Lady Folly here. Okay? There's no faithfulness. There's no faithfulness. You ever hear of someone, you know, they left, they left their spouse to, to go with their, you know, best friend or secretary or whatnot, right? And they hook up with them. Maybe they even get married. And later on you find out that they cheat again on that person they left their other spouse with, right? They're covenant breakers. We should never be surprised by that, right? And, and so he's warning his son off of that, right? Stay away from those who have no regard for their husband or wife. Let me give a warning to our brothers and sisters here, right? Because we're going to encounter this, those of us who are married. I remember when I worked at Bell South listening to how some of the women, because it was majority women, and somehow in customer operations, it's always women. I mean, there's like 90% women and a handful of us guys there. Uh, but I, I, listening to them speak so awfully and negatively about their husbands, you know, and I was like, wisdom warns you away from these people. Stay away from them. That, that's trouble. You know, they, if they speak of their covenant partner that way, right, you don't want anything to do with that. You don't want to have anything to do with that, right? So pay attention also, again, not to those, just those who speak negatively about their spouse and put them down. Why? Because, first of all, they become easy targets for the adulterer or they are the adulterer. Stay away from them, all right? Wisdom repulses you from that because ultimately what is proverbs telling us the covenant she's breaking her disloyalty is actually towards god she forgets her most important covenant now again i believe all sexual forms of temptation are in view here pornography fornication immodesty there's a whole host of things included within this and we're gonna we're gonna study that further on uh, when, when we look at Lady Folly and, and the adulteress in greater detail here. But there's a warning implicit here. And this is why we need wisdom. Her path now is in view here. Listen, listen to this. Because Solomon is painting a grim picture of the reality of the one who follows her way and her path. And hooks up with her. She's a femme fatale. If you take her bait... She'll ensnare you, you're trapped, and you're dead. This is what Solomon's saying here. Look at this, look at this language. Her house sinks to death. And I love how in the original language, it's like it's saying the house slopes towards. 
right? The house is inclined in a certain direction. So every step you take towards the forbidden woman to be with her and to follow after that temptation is the step towards descent to death. Every step is downward to the grave, it says here, to the place of the dead. None who go to her come back. That's scary, isn't it? It's like there's no way out. Like once you're in that black hole, like you're done for, right? Um, and there's no way to come back to the paths of life. Think of the story of, in Greek mythology of the siren's call. Right? You're kind of familiar with that. The sirens would sing their song to the sailors. They would portray themselves as these beautiful women. And the sailors would hear the music and hear the song. And all they wanted was to be with the siren. And they'd, they'd jump over the ship to be with them. But ultimately, the goal of the sirens was to steer them towards their island so their ship would smash up against the rock and then they would eat them all. That's what's in view here. That's how ugly this picture is that Solomon is, is painting for his son in regards to sexual temptation. Beware of it here. Again, for our young men, but for men in general, for most men, right? Sex, and, and this is, is it's the number one idol that you're going to have to contend with and war with in your life. And wisdom helps you avoid the forbidden woman, the adulterous woman. When you see the adulteress as she really is, this is the only hope for her not even being a threat to you. Because this is how wisdom protects you. You'll actually see it for what it is. You'll, wisdom not just repulses you, but you know the outcome. You know the consequence of pursuing that course of action in life. So you're not just praying for deliverance, which you should. But you're to gain the wisdom from God to see the immoral woman as God sees her. So you're not to just pray, you know, a porn addiction away, or a lust addiction away. We need wisdom. We need the spiritual lens to see the, the true character and consequence of sexual temptation, of sexual sin and immorality. This is what wisdom gives us, brothers and sisters. And that's why Solomon could say, get wisdom, seek it with all your heart. God gives you the wisdom, and he will protect you. And here's how he protects you specifically from these two categories. Verses 20 through 22, again, lay forth the outcome of the pursuit of wisdom this way. Verse 20, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. If you keep to wisdom, you'll remain on the path of the righteous. Now, you've got to keep to wisdom. Brothers and sisters, there's no shortcut to this. There's no altar call I could call up to you, lay hands on your forehead, boom, wisdom, download. You've got to keep to the path. It's not one right decision. It's not one right choice. It's one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. You've got to keep wisdom. Keep to the paths of the righteous. Get wisdom because it will protect you from these rival voices. Seek after wisdom and all of the treasures of God's word then become available to you. Wisdom, brothers and sisters, 
The wisdom of God is what makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's then what transforms us to have the character of Christ. These last two verses contain that proverb, uh, that, which is the promise, right? For the upright, here's the promise. For the wicked, here's the outcome. For the, for the righteous there, right? You'll inhabit the land and remain in it. Now, that's shorthand language for, for the covenant promises. To Israel, it was the land. For us in Christ Jesus, right, we get the better land. It's not a physical place. It's the better land, the better Jerusalem, right? The new Jerusalem, our eternal home. That's the better land to come. But the wicked don't inhabit the land, don't remain in it. They're cut off. They are rooted out. Again, there's parallelism there. But we who follow wisdom will possess the blessings and will persevere in it. The wicked will be cut off and cast out. Wisdom in every way, brothers and sisters, is better. It's better. You know, in that continuing that story of the sirens in Greek mythology, there are some who discovered a way around this. For Odysseus and his men, they discovered, hey, if we put beeswax in our ears, we won't hear them singing. You know, Odysseus even had his men Bind him to the mass of the ship so he wouldn't thrust himself overboard. But, th- but there's a better story of one who came out and escaped the siren's song and death. And that was Orpheus and Jason's ship. Orpheus played a much more beautiful song that was more pleasing to the ears. And drowned out the song of the sirens, allowing them to escape. And I think with what we're presented in Scripture here with Lady Wisdom, who is a personification of Christ, who is the sum of all wisdom, her song is more beautiful. Her song is much sweeter and greater and more pleasant than woman folly. Christ is, brothers and sisters, more beautiful treasure than anything else you and I could hope to possess. The gospel sings a more beautiful song portrays a much greater reality, brothers and sisters, that captivates our hearts. Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom, which is Christ. For brothers and sisters, he is the greatest treasure that you and I could ever, ever possess.